for the show, take your seat, and everybody turn off your phones. I am a green, then olive queen, or Martian Manhunter, I'm a lover of me. A Wolverine, your ovaries, I'll open you clean, I love the BPRD, there's no creepy geek. I got a pool drawer, at the comic book store, I got a discount, when I want Alan Moore. Oh, what's up, you jerks? I'm just kidding. I love all of you equally. Uh, I am Matt Cohen. Welcome to Bagged and Boarded. You know the deal. It's a podcast. It's a way of life. It's something that I've neglected for the last few years. All of those things and more. Uh, This week, I am lucky enough to be sitting down for a chat with my friend Christopher Brown. Now, you might not know Chris Brown or Christopher Brown or CB. Dude's got a lot of names. Um, But he's a good friend of mine. And recently, uh, he got a screenplay turned into a major motion picture uh, that was directed by Robert Zemeckis. And I thought... That would be a cool conversation because I know there's a lot of people out there like me, whether they be aspiring screenwriters or filmmakers or musicians or just aspiring fucking human beings in general. It's always cool to hear a success story and and not one that seems, you know, completely impossible. It uh, It's a good episode, man. And I found it kind of inspiring and just in terms of, you know, work and all that stuff. And also, CB's a good dude. And he produced that fucking Searching for Mr. Watterson documentary about Calvin and Hobbes. So he's got his geek cred, guys. Uh, speaking of geek, Geek Comic Book is available now. Geekcomicbook.com. Geekcomicbook.com. One more time. Geekcomicbook.com. $6.66 for the digital. 13 bucks for a printed copy. It's like 130 pages. I spent five years to working on it. I spent five years to working on it. And if you're excited about grammar like that, definitely check out the book. Uh, it would mean a lot to me. Without further ado, let's take a walk with the man who co-wrote The Walk. Ladies and gentlemen, my friend and soon to be yours, please welcome Chris Brown. Hello, sir. You prefer Chris or Christopher? Christopher works or CB. You, seems clear, to be... you clearly prefer Christopher. <laughs> no, Christopher just because of the credit because, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Here we go. Uh, we, um, not we, I have experienced a lot of Rihanna jokes in the last few years. So I figured why Chris Brown, oh, Chris Brown. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, your name is Chris Brown. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. To be fair, the first time someone ever mentioned you before I met you, they were like, Chris Brown is coming. And I went like, why? Uh-huh. Yeah. It's we happened many that, a time. Dude. There's been hotel confusion. I've, I've been called randomly on my cell phone. That's amazing. Yeah. I went to, uh, middle school and high school with a kid named Adam Sandler. Perfect. Which isn't like a rare Jewish name. Probably now yeah. it is. But but he was, I mean, I'm 31. So he's like Sandler was 10 when he was born. Mm-hmm. So the parents weren't naming him after fucking Billy Madison. We'd hope not. That around like, the kid had a normal life until he was about 11, 12 years old. And then it got, just got ruined. Uh, shit hit the fan. I hope he changed his name by this point. <laughs> Think about it. Like yeah. At a certain point, it was his name. It'd be rough. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, credit, people are going, what do you mean credit? I don't read descriptions to this show. I don't know who the fuck you are. Mm. Um, who the fuck are you, man? Uh, you, I'm going to, I'm going to sum it up and then we're going to get deep into it and we're going to go all over the place. Let's do it. It's a nighttime podcast here. Yeah, late night. Libations are flowing, mm-hmm. which means I'm smoking pot. <laughs> um, 
Chris CB, which I will refer to him as, is because that's how I call him. CB recently uh, co-wrote uh, a film called The Walk with Robert Zemeckis, which starred Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and it was about the French wire walker Philippe Petit, uh, probably best known from that Doc Man on a Wire, and it's fucking awesome. And CB's a dude I've known for a few years, and I, I knew you were a screenwriter. Yeah, I always knew that. I never knew your exact connection with Zemeckis, and I never know that you sold a movie. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden, when you had a movie out in theaters, I was yeah. like, wait, how did that happen? And I, that's the story I really kind of want to get into, because sure. this is the first thing you've had that's been produced, right? This is first, yeah. So so that's, yeah, that's really, really cool to me, and I think a lot of other people, because you're kind of starting off the journey that I think a lot of us want to be on, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it was kind of a long road. I mean, this movie took nine years to get Shit, to the screen. So, so, and I asked you this question, and, we'll, and we'll, again, we'll, we'll loop back around to this, but you started working on this before the documentary came out, right? Yeah, two years before, man. I'm no wondering. one will ever believe you. I know. <laughs> and yeah, we're encountering that a lot in the press, and that's fine. You know, I think it, it's a fair assumption that we based it on Man because we are coming out years after sure. Man Wire, but we started in two, uh, 2006. Let, let's start Let's start with you at the beginning. You're from Santa Cruz, California, right? Yes, sir. I only know that because you love Santa Cruz. <laughs> I do. You talk about it all the time. I do. You've got stickers uh-huh. and say it and yeah. stuff. Borderline obsessed, but what, yeah, hometown. What, what is Santa Cruz like for people who don't know it? It's a beach place, right? Beach place, surfers. skater place, surfers, redwoods, mountains, you know, small, liberal, eclectic town, punks, homeless musicians, also great minds, Grateful Dead fans, all sorts of shit. Sounds like a cool place. Yeah. Did you always, were you always a film guy? Yeah, always. Since a little kid? Since a little kid, yeah. Do you remember some of the first movies that really kind of turned you on? And Yeah, I think E.T. was one of the first ones I ever saw. But then early I saw things like Harold and Maude and Zulu and Cujo. and How early? Too early, but you know, if I think it fascinated me, the images, and my dad was a photographer and he okay. went all around the world, so I think I had a visual sense from that. But See, I always have this always story. A movie guy. The only too early movie for me was when I was about 11 years old. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Varun Dat. Varun came over after school one day and he had taken a VHS tape from his older brother, Vitter. Uh-huh. And it Great was names. it was Larry Clark's kids. Yes. And I was 11 mm-hmm. and we made it about uh, nine minutes before like two 11 year old kids had a really insightful moment where we looked at each other and we were like, we shouldn't be watching this. Sure. Yeah. No, it didn't feel cool because yeah. we were being naughty. It uh-huh. felt like fucked up and scarring. Sure. We we both knew we were being scarred for life every second of movie we were watching. <laughs> yeah. If that makes Especially with sense. that one. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. That was Sleepaway Camp for me. Do you ever see Sleepaway Camp? I have, yeah. Yeah. I saw that early and that ending. It's like that. There's another weird one for me, me man. We were on, play. I'll never forget. We were on, Child's Play was my worst of yeah, all time. I'm down. So much so that I couldn't go to movie theater for a while because I was convinced I would see a coming attraction for it. <laughs> yeah, because it kept making sequels. Too. I remember once my dad. I tried to take me to go see the re-release of Fantasia and I they, they had to drag me out of the theater screaming and crying because there was a poster of Chucky. <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah, you know, but now you're a fan, right? You have figurines of Chucky. I, yeah. I can see one right now. I'll be honest, they're not the best. They're certainly not scary. Yeah. They're funny. I like Bride of Chucky. Seed of Chucky. The best. Yeah, like the really campy They got ones goofy. Were, the it's like Number on Elm Street. They got goofier as they went on. The first one tries to be like a actual horror film and it fails on every level. <laughs> sure. Because <laughs> uh-huh. it's a fucking doll. <laughs> Um, no, but the other one, weirdly enough, man, I had to look it up years later. We were on a school trip to Albany. I was in fourth grade and it was before we had to turn our TV off at night. I remember, and we were, someone had put on a horror movie. I didn't know what it was. I looked it for, for a second and a guy was at 
his mother's graveside mm-hmm. and her disembodied head was alive and he went to kiss her and she tongue kissed him and bit his tongue off. Mm-hmm. That movie is called the Fred and his dead mother. That's, that's great. And I believe it stars Steve Buscemi. I found out like decades wow, early later. Buscemi. Fucked me up for life. Oh, dude. I'm putting that on the queue. Mo- movies are weird <laughs> like that. Yeah, that's true. Especially what, early ones. What were the movies that made you want to be a filmmaker? Do you remember like formative years? teenage stuff kind of like when you're starting to go what do I want to do with the rest of my life I think I was really attracted to movies you know that broke rules I mean I loved uh, Beetlejuice and Ferris Bueller stuff like that I think Pulp Fiction was really the one that got me I know that's a lot of people but you know and things are in that the whole 90s independent scene swingers like you go down the list well anything Richard Linklater did the Coen brothers Soderbergh I had the same I had the same bullshit a couple years later I don't want to say bullshit because it was true but Mm -hmm. like uh, 16 year old me it was just um, Linkletter and Aronofsky and yeah. like Terry Gilliam and and I was upset. Richard Cal- Donnie Darko. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Those yeah. angsty teenage like independent Fight Club was absolutely. And and I'm not embarrassed of it. It's just very cliche when I write a list out of my favorite movies. Yeah, but you know they had an impact. You know, and they were more prevalent. Sure. You know. Yeah, I don't. I I. I'll be honest, and this let's go all over the place. I can't yeah. think of many movies in the last few years that ha- would have had the impact on me than le- than let's say uh, a Memento or mm. like a, a Pan's Lap, uh, Attack the Block. Yeah, love is it. one of my favorite movies, and Great. I go like, oh shit! If I was like fourteen, that would have made me want to make movies. Yeah, some of those fight sequences. The, yeah, I'm the a shots. huge Scott Pilgrim fan. Yeah, me too. Is, are underrated, you really good? underrated, fucking awesome. Yeah, you're the only other one. Yeah, no, you it, it was like it was visual candy. It was so fun. It's like a perfect film for what it wants to be. Yeah, it, it, it's flawless. Oh, and yeah, and no. I think like if I was fucking sixteen years old, that would have become my favorite movie of all time. Yeah, and the video game image and like the Seinfeld stuff and like all of it is so that's why I was happy when Edgar liked the 3D of the walk because I love that guy oh Edgar Wright's one of my fucking heroes yeah, dude. oh man but ever since Shaun of the Dead who's making those kind of Space. movies nowadays you know it's rare that's Wh- the thing. what's your last favorite movie let's see this year I mean we can just I liked Amy the documentary about Amy Winehouse I, I wanted to see that I never did I dug that I like I had a lot of fun at Straight Outta Compton um, Ek Mahino I, I dug that a lot I don't um, see enough inside out. I don't even see enough good movies nowadays. <laughs> I only see like Hollywood blockbuster bullshit. I oh, I like. want to see Steve Jobs. I hear that's good. Like, I'm down to go to the theater. Are you a theater person? Or um, do you? Weirdly enough, I, I I used to be, me and my dad would go to the movies four days a week when I was a kid. That's I we, Literally, you'd be able to look at the marquee and I'd be like, I've seen every single movie, including romantic comedies. And sure. Uh huh. I go to the movies like three times a year now. Wow. And it's only for like Avengers. Is it the price? Is it the people? Is it all of it? It's a combination of price, people, and I just pirate. Sure. (laughs) That's become easier. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So I watch a lot of movies. I just, I just, honestly, it's good. 20 bucks. I buy the Blu ray if I like it. Yeah. Well, I can see. I mean, you certainly support it. There have been many a time where I've pirated a movie and Mm -hmm. immediately got in my car and went to Best Buy to buy it. Sure. So if I like a movie, I'll want to own it. You'll embrace it. It's just, I can't pay fucking the same price for a movie ticket that I pay for something I can own forever. Especially in LA, it's a little higher. And the quality theaters like the Arclight are more. And then IMAX, like, Walk is 20 bucks a ticket. See, but it depends. Walk, I am so fucking glad I saw in theaters, in 3D, in an IMAX. Because that's a different movie. That's an experience, yeah. And I was telling someone about today, I was like, say whatever you want about the movie. Sure. 
it is one of the best experiences I've ever had in a movie theater. Oh, one awesome. of the most intense and visceral and cool. And we'll get there, man. It's yeah. just I don't know. I, I imagine I imagine it's why a lot of kids nowadays grow up wanting to be YouTubers. Yeah. Who, YouTube celebrity. Yeah. And they promote it now. It's billboards everywhere. Who are the young avant-garde filmmakers who are really you know what I mean? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Who are, who's pushing it? Sure. And I think I think it's a, and this will be kind of a topic later in the episode, but I think it's a statement on kind of the movie business in general nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like Whiplash last year. Whiplash was great. That, I thought that stood out. Um, but I'm, you know, and Tangerine, things like that, that are being made in different ways and pushing like the culture and all that. Sure. But I think it's rare, even though it's more accessible, like anyone can make a movie on their iPhone now. It's like, there's no more excuses. Totally. And we also live in a world where, uh, your average big video game makes more money on day oh. one than every movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I just read metal, the new metal gear solid made more in its first day than Avengers two and Jurassic park made in total. It's a huge fucking business. 22 billion every year. Now you got competition now, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So movies have to be giant spectacle things and they can't take chances really. Now a lot of reboots, remakes, sequels, everything, everything needs to be an IP. Yeah. But that almost might be done because of fucking pan. Hopefully. (sighs) I mean, I didn't think we needed a eighth version of pan, but what do I know? I mean like a prequel too. It's, it, yeah. it goes. Do you ever hear? Um, it's kind of timely after the Star Wars release. But have you ever heard Patton Oswalt's bit on on the Star Wars prequels? No. Where he's just. It's basically like, look, I don't want to know where the shit I love comes from. I just want to <laughs> fucking love it. Yeah, sure. Good like, point. Something's George, left alone. It's George Lucas walking up and going, "Oh, so you like Boba Fett? Uh, well, maybe you'd like to meet his dad yeah. or, or see him as a little kid." He's like, "Hey, do you want some ice cream?" <laughs> yeah. Patton's like, "Sure." And he goes, "Well, here's some rock salt and some vanilla and some sugar, and if you just." <laughs> Yeah. Like, no motherfucker no, stop showing the ingredients. me the ingredients yeah, yeah. amazing yeah. um and that, and i know this is sacrilege but like what, did you see the new star wars trailer i did did you like it i did were you like super excited for the movie i like star wars i've never been a huge star wars person i've never been a huge star wars kid like franchise wise back in the day i liked die hard and indiana jones um i was never an action figure guy back then but I think JJ is doing a great job and I think he's putting together something really exciting and we've gone to the far end of what the prequels could be and how bad sure. those could be. We can only hopefully improve. And I like the choice of Ryan Johnson next. Like they're choosing good filmmakers. They're choosing good filmmakers and it looks well made and the trailer looks fucking cool. I just think I've got fatigue at this point. I'm sure. Yeah. And it's only going to build. It's... And not even just Star Wars fatigue, but nostalgia fatigue. Mm-hmm. Overload. You know what I mean, <laughs> yeah. dude. Crying when you see Gray Harrison Ford. I was so excited when like they started making Spider-Man movies, but now that I like I've not seen the last three. I think, and yeah. that's insane. That's that I live in me. a world where I don't see Spider-Man movies. Yeah, too many fucking Spider-Man. That's reboots. not my fault. Yeah, no, it's no. I love Spider-Man, and we're probably not done. And oh, then the Sinister Six. They like... just. I think luckily, uh, we're not going to get the Sony universe thing you never know because of how badly the last one did but we're getting marvel's taking over yeah they're gonna he's get in the news uh captain america they cast him already yeah that's a, that kid right he's young some like 14 year old kid that's cool well sure man <laughs> are you a marvel fan are you a dc fan or what's I'm, your take I'm, I'm both i if i if they make i mean cinematically i'm definitely a marvel fan because dc just makes terrible movies sure mm-hmm. but but i love the characters of both I am not at all like, and I know this sounds kind of weird and bitter, but like I am okay with 50 superhero movies a year if they're fucking cool. Mm-hmm. I just want us to stop being like everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, all, all the time. But you, so you think DC hasn't made good movies? You're not a Batman movie fan? I like Batman Begins a lot. Mm-hmm. 
I think uh, I'm not honestly a Nolan fan anymore. Sure. Because of Interstellar? Interstellar and Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises. I was just like, whoa, my God, are these movies overwrought and fucking like. <laughs> I thought that very about Inception and Interstellar. Yeah. yeah. But I love Dark Knight. I gotta admit, I'm not even a huge comic guy, and I thought, but you, you skipped that one. That's usually people's favorite, Dark Knight. I call it Bat Heat. <laughs> he was trying to make a Michael Mann movie and just put people yeah. in costumes in it. No, like, he was. First sure. movie is like a Batman movie. There's like weird villains and gadgets and like training. Yeah. <laughs> Second movie is just like <laughs> And the third one, oh. oh, it's the most brooding. And and my worry about the DC films is is it's all David Goyer. It's all Goyer and Snyder. Yeah. They're embracing the dark too. I don't know if how, really, how you feel about Zack Snyder as a filmmaker. Uh, I'm very mixed. Like, uh, yeah, I'm, I wasn't a fan of Watchmen, you know. Uh, Sucker Punch, I fucking hate it. It's the worst movie ever. I fucking hated it. And the most upset movie. I've ever been in a movie. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I don't know. I'm, I don't think I'm a fan. 300, I kind of got. I think he's like a fucking misogynistic frat boy douchebag who makes like rape culture fucking movies. I'm being honest. <laughs> you might not man. be wrong. We'll see what the Batman oh, Superman one looks see like. How, let's see how Wonder Woman is handled. I'm, oh, I'm yeah. sure it'll yeah. be fucking great. Yeah. It's just, it's Marvel's like, hey, we make campy kid movies. We're comic books. And DC's like, no, dude. Exactly. We're Blo- going gonna to brood. Blood and shadows. Yeah. Uh-huh. Fucking gold grain over everything. That does seem to be their reaction. It's true. Because of, because of how well the Dark Knight movies did. Yeah, and because well, Suicide Squad now and then Justice League Dark, I think they're going to do. Like, that, see, but the, the Suicide Squad, the trailer looks great, I think. I'm down. I'm actually shocked. how. See, but that's not, I don't think that's under Goyer and Snyder's purview. No, that's Air, right? Yeah, and it's like an, it's Else, it's like an Elseworlds thing. Yeah. Does that make sense? And it's shot differently than. It's yeah. not part of the Justice League chrono- chronology, I don't think. I think you're right. Yeah, and it's not Snyder's huge, glossy, you know, imagery, which is sometimes fantastic, but the movies don't add up to me for uh, Snyder. No, they're they're just not what they're supposed to be, and I think Fantastic Four, though I didn't see it, I've heard it suffered from this as well, where it was just brooding and dark and like, yeah, that's the cheesiest comic ever. Yeah, and they did a David Cronenberg with it. I mean, that was that was their intent. That movie should be live action, incredible. I am curious to see it though. Aren't you kind of a little bit? I guess. Who knows what happened there? That was a train wreck. The implosion of Josh Trank yeah, that was played out on screen. That yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm curious, man. Mm-hmm. Um, so movies are fucked, but you got to <laughs> make start one. There. Uh, how did you got okay. to go on a ride? Yeah. So, so did you go to film school? I did. Where did you go? USC. UC, USC. Yeah. That's the real one. That's one of them. That's the one you go to. That's one of them. Or NYU. If and you there's some great. That's the thing. There's great ones all over now. I mean, but for all, yeah, USC was definitely one of the places to go. Those are the feeder systems, right? Yeah. USC yeah. and it, like, because it's Spielberg and that's JJ Zemeckis, and that's you know, um, Brian Singer, Ron Howard. Yeah, a couple people. So you went to USC, which means you did really good in high school. I enjoyed high school. <laughs> I did. I always kind of was down with with it. Yeah. Whereas I was taking non-matriculated night classes at School of Visual Arts and getting drunk. That's dope. Um, That's the thing. <laughs> so you knew from it, you you locked in in like junior year, you were like, oh shit, I'm going to be a filmmaker. Yeah, I kind of did. Were you making short films by yourself and little? No, I'd never had a camera growing up. Never a film camera or a video camera. Um the first short I ever made was for Spanish class. It was in Spanish in high school. Nice. And then I applied to USC and got in and made a bunch of films on Super 8 there. We were actually the last semester to ever use Super 8 wow. film, which is kind of cool. So you, Micro. You, do you do well at USC? 
Yeah. Did you make a student film and all that? Yeah, senior what, thesis film. What was your senior thesis film? It was called Strange Fruit, based on the Billie Holiday song okay. about lynching. So, you know, bright, happy topic. Oh, nice, dude. Um, <laughs> Jesus but it Christ. mixes that Billie Holiday world and that kind of uh, violent racism with uh, the graffiti culture of L.A., Back in the day, so it, that was two thousand one. Is it up anywhere online? It's or not. I think I I might put it on YouTube. I dude. might. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I went for it. So was was film school a good experience for you? Yes and no. I mean, it was great to it was great to make films. It was great. Everyone in the class was fantastic to collaborate with. A lot of late nights and fun things, fun things like that. But uh, USC had some rules to it. It was cold in a certain regard. So, uh, you know, I wasn't sure about that, but it gave the excuse to make films. So. Sure. And you got to meet a lot of people. What do you think about uh, film school in general? Do you think it's necessary? I don't think it's necessary, but I think you can make the most of it if you do it. I think you can do it either way. You know, we've seen both. We've seen the Tarantinos and we've seen uh, the Spielbergs. Sure. We've seen... I think, I, and this is, again, coming from someone who didn't get a credit in college, but went to a few of them. Yeah. Uh, I think the real benefit from film school is technical stuff. That's what I wish they taught yeah. more of. Yeah, I wish sure. it was more of like editing and making films and knowing how cameras and lenses work. Mm -hmm. I think film theory is kind of garbage. Yeah, that Why can only am I take you so far. Battleship Potemkin. I'm fucking 20 <laughs> well, years old. Well, you know, I, th I don't know. That one in particular. I think Potemkin has they some stuff going on. Sure. But some films they show and you're like, we don't need to see this anymore. You know? I've seen a lot of. I've just seen. I've seen movies. I know how to see movies. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I do. Well, speaking of Potemkin and editing, I think more than anything that I loved about USC was I fell in love with editing there. I had no concept of that before. But in film and digital, I learned Avid and that. And it was like, oh shit, this is storytelling. Sure, this is writing. hands-on and, and you're getting to actually do a, learn a, tra a skill. Yeah, exactly. And then the Bob world, when I got to there, um, there's a lot of post-production time and you can learn a lot in that environment. So let's get there. So you, you go to USC, you make mm -hmm. a student film about rape. I'm mean, excuse me, not rape, lynching. <laughs> yeah. That would be fucked up. In a way, it's about rape. lynching and graffiti. Uh, you graduate, I'm yeah. sure, with honors and all that fun yeah. shit. How do you first hook up with Robert Zemeckis? What do you do right out of college? Right out of college, I do freelance editing and documentary work. I actually did a was one of the camera guys back when the World Series of Poker in Vegas wasn't a thing okay. yet. Like I was did one of those and just random stuff, whatever. Just picking up whatever gigs you can whatever get. Whatever I can fucking find. Um, and then it, it seems like one of those classic cliche things, but in the back of Variety, I saw that... Um, Bob Zemeckis was doing the Polar Express with Tom Hanks. And I thought, I like all three of those things. I didn't know it was mocap at the time sure. or motion capture, but I thought I got to get a job. So I, what was the job? What was the ad for? What position? It was just that it was happening. And so what I did, <laughs> Wait, you mean it was just announced. You just read the announcement. It I read wasn't the announcement. an ad for anything. No, no, no. Okay. It wasn't, we need workers and yeah, we need yeah, people to get it. It was, was, a movie. I was like, this is happening. I was like this, if I could get on it, it would be a steady gig, not a part-time gig. And at USC, I helped start kind of a film student council where I brought in people and did Q&As with like Stan Winston and people like that, oh, wow. editors. And one of the editors I talked to was Bob's editor who cut all sorts of Bob's movies and won Oscar for Gump and uh, Roger Rabbit. Arthur Schmidt. Okay, cool. Or Artie, guy partially responsible for me hooking up with Bob at all, so I owe a lot to that guy. But anyway... I called him and I said, look, I've never asked you for a favor, but this thing is happening. Is there any way you can get me a job to just be entry-level PA? And he walked me into the interview. And I learned later that because already walked me into the interview, it was just, of course, this you kid. You got it. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, this kid can get our fucking lunches. <laughs> <laughs> which is I did for a while. So you PA'd on Polar Express. Yeah. Which must have been weird because it was 
super early mocap, right? Yeah, it was definitely early adopter. So it was just one stage, one green screen stage. There was a couple, the large ones at Culver Studios. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I was an people- office PA. I wasn't even on set. I was answering phones, making copies, sneaking down a set when I could, and like checking out all the weird sets and chicken wire stuff. Did you love it immediately? The mocap or no working being an OPA, yeah, yeah, working on your first movie, so big movie, yeah. Yeah. It felt like, yeah, the next step, even though it was entry level. And a lot of my friends, you know, uh, over the years kind of refused that kind of work because it was like, well, I went to USC or whatever. Even if you do a senior thesis film, they they sell you this shit that you're going to graduate and you're going to get an agent right away. It's not true. And then it's like, all right, well, I'll take this job, you know. So I started at the bottom. Um, and, and what, so you were just office pay on that. Did you get to meet Zemeckis? Barely. Okay. Passing him in the hall, like not like no really recognition. So this is your first job experience. You're stuck in an office all day. You do a good job. Yeah. What happens next? Well, little things. I mean, one thing I did was, uh, Polar Express has this hobo character. And okay. I was reading a book about real life hobos, like modern hobos. And there was a glossary in the back that had all these ho- hobo terms. So I thought, you know what, maybe this could be useful for this character. And I Xeroxed it and gave it to the producers and they gave it to Bob. And that's the first time I actually met him. Because okay. he called me down to set. He's like, are you the ho- guy with the hobo words? <laughs> um, but then otherwise it was just getting lunches and making copies. And um, because Network, I did that, people, yeah. it, it, was, it sounds so stupid, but because I did all those little things well, they're like, all right, we want to hire you to move up to Santa Barbara and be post-production coordinator on Polar. Dude, it's the best lesson anyone could ever learn, and I wish I had done it more, but it's it's when you do things that people don't ask for and you do them good, like yeah. people are fucking stoked. Yeah, it, it really makes a difference. Do you know what I mean? It, it goes back to, and I, this story has been told before and also not by me, but like, um, like I had been working with Kevin and I knew Kevin, but, but mm-hmm. one day he randomly tweeted like, Hey, I'm thinking about doing, getting a permanent theater space in LA. What do you guys think? Mm-hmm. And without even mentioning to him, I, I immediately got on the computer and I called every single theater I could find in LA and got like prices and availability and wrote like a whole fucking pitch package basically wow. to what a comedy theater could be. Sure. And I emailed it to him and he was like, all right, man, it's because you did this. It's me and you now. Exactly. Like you yeah. put the work in. So you just, yeah. Sometimes it's just work and like the <laughs> extra effort before you're even asked to do something like, you know, who else likes that girls. Sure. <laughs> Two places that works work and, and with, with ladies. Uh-huh. And I'm sure it works the other way. Ladies. Yeah. <laughs> surprise, <laughs> your, surprise your guy every now and then. But you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's just, surprising people with something they like when they're not expecting it is an amazing fucking thing people are usually down yeah so so you were all around good guy in polar express at Mm. any point did you suggest other than hobo terms that maybe they put (laughs) eyeballs in their characters no no because god those movies are terrifying i know the whole zombie thing the whole uncanny valley the uncanny valley thing was uh it kind of hurt that movie, I think, a little bit, but it, I think oh, it, was push- yeah, it, it was pushing the envelope a little too early, maybe, but the cool thing is kids didn't seem to mind. No, I think I it don't creeped think out noticed. maybe some older people, but kids ate it up, you know? It was it was like Polar Express and that final fantasy Spirits Within movie. Exactly. Those were the two that kind of launched the new... But I think there's a difference because then out of mocap emerged things like Gollum and King Kong and sure. Pirates of the Caribbean characters. And I think Avatar, of course, I think the character thing, you have more forgiveness because you're not trying to find the face. It's the human being thing. Yeah. It's, I was, I was showing, I got NBA 2K16 for PS4 uh-huh. and I was showing some of the graphics and they mentioned Uncanny Valley. They were like, dude, sure. 
it will never it will never be able to get it. It's hard, yeah, because the eyes and also even with the technology and now, it's arm motions usually. Yeah, it's just so a subtle. It's and, the subtle stuff that you don't even. I mean, face replacing works, so that's a different kind of mocap. But I think they're still perfecting trying the human to genuinely stuff. recreate a human on mocap is is it's tough, difficult. and I don't know that we. I don't know that there's a part of our brain that will allow whatever. It's the only value. Do you know sure, what I mean? yeah. I, I think um, I think it's really hard to replicate. I think creatures are a lot easier to do because in these mocap movies, well, in any movie, but in motion capture movies, you have price points, right? So every scene is a different price point. So that's why certain characters look really good and certain characters might fall off that a little. That makes sense, yeah. yeah. And, but that can be a little distracting sometimes. Did you see the trailer for uh, John Favreau's Jungle Book movie? I saw that the teaser, yeah. Fucking, they look incredible. It does those look animals. incredible. Yep. Like the the mo the it's not mocap, but but the CGI in general. Yeah, the animals in these. Like we've gotten to a place where I think you can do a full mocap movie. I just don't know that we'll ever be able to do it with humans. <laughs> yeah, the humans is hard, but yeah, Life of Pi also had great animals. Life of Pi was great. Um, yeah, yeah, they're really getting that. Good. The new um, a buddy of mine worked on. Uh, I think you know him too. Rob, you know Rob Kaczynski worked yeah. on the War of the World, not War of the Worlds, uh, War, World of Warcraft. Oh, wow. Oh. He's the main bad guy in it. Oh, cool. And he t- he said that mocap experience is incredible because it's gotten to a point where. You, it's not even animatics. It's mm-hmm. fully rendered final animation as yeah. it's happening. Yeah, that's new. That's that, cr- you guys didn't have that no, at all. Bob would have loved then. that. He didn't have that on Beowulf or Christmas. None of it. I mean, Christmas Carol is kind of on the edge of that, but now it's yeah, fully rendered environments and characters. Robert Zemeckis. Let me see what I can do off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, Splash. Mm-hmm. No, not him at all. Ron Howard. That's Ron Howard. Mm-hmm. Oh, those USC sons of bitches. Okay. <laughs> Forrest Gump. Yeah. Uh, Roger Rabbit. Yeah. One of my favorite movies ever made. Yeah. Uh, the Back to the Future films. Yeah. Uh, Flight Plan. Close. No. What's it called? Flight. Flight. Flight Plan's Jodie Foster. Oh, I don't know what that yeah, is. Yeah, it's a thriller. Flight. I know I'm missing a lot more, so fill me in. Uh, started with I Want to Hold Your Hand, uh, Beatles movie, and then Use Cars. And then Romancing the Stone, okay, which kind of saved I'd his seen, career. And it's a great movie. It and is a great and movie. And I only saw it for the first time in the last month on Netflix. Yeah, it's, it's a classic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what Lies Beneath, Death Becomes Her, Contact, What Lies Beneath, Castaway. and Death Becomes Her. What Lies Beneath is the Harrison Ford, I raped that girl and killed her under the dock movie. That's the one. Death Becomes Her. That's on the back of the VHS, yep. actually. It's just saving <laughs> yeah. Death Becomes Her. I'm doing the exact blurbs. Death Becomes Her is... Um, Michelle Pfeiffer and Goldie Hawn get killed by Bruce Willis Correct, and yeah. then like haunt him and shit. Yeah, the, and the whole age-defying potion elixir. I like that movie a lot it's when fun. I saw it's it in theaters as a kid. Yeah. yeah, Meryl Streep. Hit me with some more. Um, I think we might have covered them Polar all. Polar Express and Beowulf. Yeah, Christmas Carol Flight, uh, Castaway. Oh, Castaway. Contact. Contact. Um, so that dude has always had a weird eye for technology. I think so. See, when you when you mention USC filmmakers, and Steven Spielberg is obviously one of the best filmmakers ever made, right? Sure. Uh, not arguably. He didn't go to USC, actually, Spielberg. He He's didn't? donated a shit ton of oh, money, oh. but he didn't, didn't actually officially go. Oh, I didn't but know he's that. always loved it. Right on. Yeah. I have a problem, not even a problem. I am not a Ron Howard fan. Sure. Because where is he in his movies? Yeah. He is an amazing... And technical is not the right word because he's not that. There's nothing really that technological. Technical is the right word, not yeah. technological. Yeah, he's a great shooter. If yeah. you want a movie to look like a movie, 
Ron Howard is your fucking guy, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But I don't think you could show me a Ron Howard movie and I'd be able to say that's a Ron Howard movie if I never saw it. I'd agree with that. I don't think he has all... I, and, and, and we both talked about our favorite filmmakers growing up mm-hmm. who oozed them in every cell of their movies. Yeah, Do you know sure. what I mean? Uh-huh. But Zemeckis, I think, is in a weird zone where where he's... He does really, really, really cool shit consistently, and I don't think people give him enough credit for it. Mm-hmm. For instance, when you reminded me that he directed Roger Rabbit, I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, he's the best director of all fucking time. It, that's a great one to single out, I think. That's- it, that is an exceptional movie from start to finish. And even if you don't like kids' movies and even if you don't like cartoons, mm-hmm. like it is still completely technically sound like it is what they did animation wise is fucking astounding they pushed the boundaries of so many things on that movie i mean that they had incredible obstacles to overcome for that thing no one knew what they were doing but they they all had but they figured it out and they had to figure it out and also not little things but things like bob hoskins is the lead you could never ever make that movie now and spielberg helped bob to get the both characters from disney Disney and warner Warner. is that what it was yeah spielberg got the characters he had the he he could make that call Like Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny are on screen together. I know, right? Like it will never get bigger than that. In the Daffy Donald fight, like in the the bar, it gets like it's an incredible film. And and then you go like, oh yeah, he made Back to the Fucking Future. Also, yeah, he's. I think he's a dude that I don't think people forget about because he's Robert Zemeckis and it's a huge name. But I don't think in the last, let's say, ten years, Mm -hmm. he's made anything that's really sunk into the to the public consciousness like that. Would you agree? I'd say so. I mean, I think he uh, he really tried to push the mocap thing. It didn't light the world on fire, like he'd say, as it, he thought. But I think since maybe Castaway with Wilson and all that, Castaway and also Gum, huge. when he hits a nerve, he hits a nerve. But uh, yeah, I think I think that's why he wanted the walk to hit. I think he was pretty convinced it was going to hit. Um, but you never know. You yeah. really don't know. So, so you worked on Polar Express. How? Did, what's the next movie you worked on? Did you Beowulf? Go, you went. So you went on with the crew. They liked you enough. They hired you on to. Beowulf. I was. I moved up to Ventura, and we worked out of uh, Carpinteria. And I just stayed. I felt I was learning so much all the time from meetings and posts, and people were coming in and next projects. And they, because they kind of grasped the fact that I was hungry, they would let me in on meetings, and um, I never forced my work on Bob. Let me ask you another very personal question. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you ask for money ever? Money, or, meaning you were down for free, right? Like, oh no, you were getting paid clearly. Yeah. But my question is, I found that another success story, in oh. ho- and this is kind of what this episode theme is about because you're like, I think you're you're a success story, dude. Like, oh, you thanks, fucking had man. a dream and you made it happen. <laughs> I think another valuable lesson I've learned is that like. Just be down to do everything for free because then people will learn. Absolutely. They learn your, your value just by you being there and yeah. not being a nuisance. And that kind of seems like how you got in almost. Yeah. You were just a dependable dude who didn't annoy people and did your shit and, and sure. wasn't annoying. And You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and you know, I think Bob d- dug that I could talk about 1970s movies. <laughs> Things right on, like that, that helps too, right? And I was his projectionist at, his, really? at his house. Oh, wow. So, okay. Yeah, because that's how I, I paid my dues at USC. It was projecting. So, now you're on Beowulf. What is your job on Beowulf? I uh, became a post-production coordinator on that. So a lot of a lot of dealing with post scheduling and the editors and assistant editors. And, and same process, super super cool, pretty. And you guys have done it now once, so I'm sure it's way easier. Yeah, right. Exactly. A lot of develop just in the year because that's how technology is now. Sure. And he said, "All right, well, he really liked working on Polar. He wasn't done with it 
and he said, let's make one for adults. Did let's he, make oh, like a Frazetta instead of a Chris von Allsberg. How, how was Beowulf suggested? Did he like the story? He did like the story. Because um, I'm a huge fan of that book. Yeah, yeah and yeah, I think yeah. Neil Gaiman was in the mix early, and then Roger Avery. Really? They oh, wrote wow. the script. Um, and I remember days when it would just be uh, me, you know, manning the main desk, and Roger and Neil and Bob toiling away. It was pretty fucking amazing. Yeah, it was a good yeah. group. Um <laughs> That's right, Gaiman was involved on Beowulf, yeah, right? Yeah, because yeah. they love that. I mean, that fits within his lore. And sure. then Roger Avery's been a Beowulf nut for a while. And then Bob, even if he's not credited on his script, he always makes it better and twists it. Like, he really sits with the writers, and uh, they say that's what he did on that. So now you, you get to know him a little bit better on this film, I'm sure, right? On Beowulf? Yeah. Because yeah. uh-huh, I'm always there in the office now. Because you're wor- Yeah. Yeah. So what what's next after Beowulf? How do you, how do you guys start a collaborative relationship? Um... <clears throat> In 2006, which is right around the end of Beowulf, and then the Christmas Carol is right in that uh, area. Christmas Carol, too. Yeah. Yeah, um, I worked on that a little bit. But before that started, he brought me the kid's book about Philippe Petit called The Man Who Walked Between the Towers. There was a a French kid's book or English? English kid's book. There was a children's book about Philippe Petit before anyone really talked about it. That's where it all started, pretty much. Bob saw it in a Barnes & Noble, I believe. He was with his kids and uh, saw it and thought immediately, because the cover is a foot on a wire in New York, 110 stories down. And that illustrated image, he thought this should be a 3D movie. And then we got the rights to the book and you know, there's a whole story behind that. Was there even 3D in 2006? Oh, sure. Was it early though? I think when it was like the comeback, you know, when things started to do okay. that. And then, yeah, I believe so. And but then, he knew he wanted And then horror movies D. picked up on it yeah. a few years after that. My Bloody Valentine. Anything. Or whatever the fuck that garbage. It got too much for a few years there. Um. So he sees this book, he sees his image, and he knows he wants to make the movie. Yeah. How do you find out? He brings it to me in my office and says, find out if this guy's still alive. And so. At that point, you, he's not bringing this to you as saying, like, hey, I want you to help me write this movie. Not at that point. He's saying, hey, I literally just want you to be a PA, kind of. <laughs> Pretty much. And Any, again, anything kind of creative or research-wise, they're like, because I worked on uh, Monster House a little bit. Okay. And uh, he was pitching. Did uh, he have anything to do with that? He produced it. Oh, he yeah. produced it. Yeah, okay. Gave, That's he, a cool movie, actually. Yeah. And he gave Gil that yeah. shot. And um, he was going to do a Yellow Submarine remake, and we worked together on some ideas for that. So it was kind of in the mix. So so he knew you were... So you guys have been... You went from just a dude who was a post-supervisor to this point to someone that he clearly took value in and, and right i think so that had to be cool yeah. for you right it was cool yeah and i you know i pitched stuff to him i never forced work on him he asked to read my scripts and he asked to see my usc film That's i didn't want to be awesome. that guy that yeah. was like oh i'm in the office of bob now like here's my shit sure uh i waited and he asked and uh i think that proved to be the right move. so how, how do you find up if uh philippe is still alive I just started online, you know, calling around, and then I found his book. We got the book, called the publisher, and found him in New York. And, and um, yeah, that was 2006. And there was a rights battle? I don't know if there was a battle. I think what we did first was we literally flew him out. We had a maquette built of the towers, kind of like in the movie. And again, this is way before the documentary, right? Two years before the doc okay. came out. Yeah. Which everyone needs to know more <laughs> in this conversation. Well, you know, nothing wrong with Man on Wire. Actually, t- I toured with Philippe when he was promoting Man on Wire in 2008. Really? But we can get to that. Okay. So we flew him in. We had a maquette of the towers, and he walked us through the coup, and we videotaped him. And then I took that information and started to do an outline. And then we started to dissect the book together, Bob and I, and it emerged from a lot of interviews. Um, You're still in a research capacity at this point, at correct? At this point, research okay. leading into outlining. 
So okay. I was always like, because I loved it immediately. When he showed me this book and I got into it, I was like, I had never heard of it. I was like, holy shit, this is incredible. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, because I guess not everyone watches documentaries. Sure. Um, in 1974, Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, a French um, wire walker named Philippe Petit and a team of people kind of like Oceans and Eleven their way into the newly opened World Trade Center. Yeah. And dude like snuck up hut hit out overnight and then for like two hours walked back and forth between the world how many stories up 110 110 stories off the ground walked between the two world trade centers on a on a metal wire mm-hmm. with the fucking like balancing pole yeah still blows my mind to hear it and i've been living this story for like and he was up there for 45 minutes sure and it's crazy because i don't like my parents aren't aware of the documentary and i told them you know my buddy did the feature and i was like do you remember that story happening when it happened and mm-hmm. they were like eh, kind of yeah it was it was it a, not a huge deal bob didn't even hear about it i mean he was, he was in, in film Yorker, school at the bob? time well okay. no he was in la at the time but it wasn't like today where it's everywhere instantly it 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 was certainly news in New York and it was news in other countries, but it was kind of, you missed it. And then a few days later, Nixon was resigning. So that kind of took everything over. It was overall, right. Um, so I think a lot of people discovered it in Man on Wire and I think a lot of people are discovering it now with The Walk, like 41 years later. Because it's such an amazing story. and, and It's bonkers. It's fucking bonkers. The best part, and we'll, well, again, we're jumping all over the place, but yeah. after watching The Walk, you're like, they, this is like a fucking years long, insanely detailed out, incredible plan that like is clearly going to lead to this guy's death. Mm-hmm. Also, he can fucking walk on a wire between exactly. buildings. All the effort and time and like, money. All and the effort training. and time. Cure cancer, homie. Yeah, man. Like, <laughs> he was driven. He was not going to He was stop. driven to just walk on a fucking wire, <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. which is what's so beautiful and kind of amazing about the story. Yeah. It, that dude's passion and desire to do just a silly thing, kind of. He loved those towers more than anything, anyone, like, ever. I mean, it's to, to risk his life to just em- walk between them and embrace them in that way was just, they're the tallest in the world. Let's go. So in your research process, at what point do you, are you like, oh, shit, I'm going to write this thing? <laughs> uh, it evolved over a few years. Uh, they sent me out to New York. And I spent a week with Philippe at his house. Okay, like who's the they? Uh, product, Our production, production you know, company. image movers. Sure. Um, and I got to meet Philippe and uh, his partner, Kathy. And we they welcome me into their home. And his basement is full of like the shoes from that day and That's the awesome. bow and arrow from that day and all his journals. And I got to scan stuff and take pictures. It, was not, it felt like I was having like getting away with a crime, like in his basement and getting all his secrets. Because you've been uh, reading about this guy, and yeah, and now I'm in his house, life his a personal years. archive yeah. in his basement, and it's great. And he has a wire in his front yard, and he has a barn that he. Um, Where does he live? Up like in the upstate? hills, uh, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, and off the grid. Um, but yeah, he has, a, he has a tightrope in his front yard that he walks on every morning, and he has an 18th century barn that he built from hand, and like, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So he's well. So yeah. So they sent me out, and that's when I really got to know him. And it was an exhausting, inspiring few weeks. And I came back and I had all these pictures and clips and videos and outlines. And I put all that together into a draft and a presentation. And around that time, the producer said, Bob wants to see you in his office. And he's like, I think we should write this thing together. What? Okay, so when they say Bob wants to see you in his office, what do you think is about to happen? Gosh, that's a good question. That day, I wasn't sure. It was just a normal, you know, sometimes they're having meetings, they want to get my opinion, or it's about Philippe, like, would you do this? Or I didn't know it was going to be the official. Is there any part of your brain that was maybe expecting that? Maybe. Just because I had put a lot of work in, uh, 
like we had said before, stuff that they didn't ask for. I like went the extra mile because I fucking loved it. And it was like, maybe this is a shot to whatever I can do, Bob, you know, I'd sure. love to be involved in this thing. So, yeah. So when that conversation happens, mm -hmm. how do you maintain your cool? Or do you not? No, I did. I did. I don't know how. I didn't, you know, afterwards get out of the, you know, get out of the office and do the whole call the parents thing. Go, shit, this is actually happening. Did you do a fist bump thing in the, like a fist pump? Did you yeah, do one of those? Fist the, bump did explosion. You, did He's you big do on one that. of those? Yeah. Did you really? No. So that's what one I mean. The, one of these raw rows. I think it's an interesting question to ask people how they handle that moment because I think so many people dream of it and think it will be different. Yeah. Different. Does that make sense? Sure. I think he knew I was super happy and that this was what I was gunning for. But I, in the moment, I was yeah, I kept it a little Well, cool. I also have a theory, and, I, and I've had no, nothing quite to that degree, but I've had some moments in my life where I've been like, oh, holy shit, this is a thing I've dreamed of and it's happening. Yeah. And weirdly enough, in those moments, it's never that like, woo! It's always like, yeah, I kind of deserved slash worked for this. Sure. Like, it seems like an, it seems natural. Does yeah. that make sense? Sure. Uh-huh. Or it sinks in later. But yeah, I had those moments of writing with Bob where when we actually started officially writing together, we'd sit in a conference room for four or five, six like you hours. you and Robert Zemeckis writing a movie together for six hours. Yeah. Just in this, you know, our big old room in Carpinteria. And, and were there surreal moments? All the time. Still. All the time. We I mean, like, what the fuck? Part of my brain would go, what the fuck are you doing here? Why is he asking you how we're going to solve this scene? Why I, He's looking at you for an answer versus like, well, maybe you're supposed to be here because you worked you know, to sure. be here. So just go with it. That's gotta be a but trip, absolutely man. pacing around the table, drinking coffee. Like, how are we going to figure this out? Chris? It's like, I don't know. Bob. I'm, I'm thinking, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Roger Rabbit's dad. <laughs> sure. Shout out to Charles Fletcher though. Yeah. Who's, yeah. Who's a lunatic. Uh, no, he's great. <laughs> I met him at a convention. I've met him a few times too. Real crazy guy. He's, he's, he did a, he's he did unique. a bump for this podcast in Roger Rabbit's voice. Which really? Was one of the best moments of my life. Yeah. And I, then he talked to me about like math for like 20 minutes. Isn't it, his mind is insane. He I makes saw, like dodecahedron shape He's things. very into shapes and patterns. Yeah. I know his daughter, Rachel, she's a good friend of mine. And he, every time I've met him, it's always been a unique experience. I never know if he's fucking with me. That's or, what I didn't you know? know. I was like, oh man. He's either out of his mind or or pranking me. I think this he's a beautiful weird yeah, combination. I love of both. it. I love that yeah. that's Roger Rabbit. Yeah, it makes sense. I love that. Yeah. Um. So, how did the writing process go? Well, it, it we kind of reversed engineered a little bit because we had, we had the book to go off of. We had the book that we dissected like crazy together and separately. Uh, and then we had the original interview. We had the uh, interviews I did in New York because I recorded him. And then we had review, uh, interviews on stage where we actually shot Philippe with 3D cameras as a test because we were anticipating it was going to be a 3D movie. Now, uh, when you say 3D movie, at one point this was going to be a mocap movie, right? It started as that. It started as a very... But we emerged from that pretty quickly because it, it started as a mocap previs reel and then it became a really stylized movie. Like at one point when young Philippe was on screen, it was going to look like old school Disney Pinocchio. And when they got to the roof, it was going to be black and white like Sin City. And then when he puts his foot on the wire, then the color was going to come back in and Paris was going to look like Picasso Van Gogh. Like there was going to be all these weird artistic moments. 
Uh, but then that changed when we everyone said no. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes twice. Is that literally who everyone yeah. meaning the people who would have to pay for it or everyone? I mean, I was on heard some, the idea. We showed we showed a previs reel uh, with real Philippe kind of doing what Joe does in the movie, which is kind of host the film. We showed that to everybody in town sometimes twice. No one wanted it. And then Tom Rothman saw Gravity. He's like, I want more 3D movies like this. Knew we were that, pitching it. And this is Fox, right? Uh, no. He was at Fox. Now he's at Sony TriStar. Okay. He was like reinventing TriStar. Sure. And now he's the head of Sony. Uh, but yeah, he said, I know you guys are pitching this. Let's take a meeting and figure it out. And we figured it out and we got to make it. So once the green light is lit, you guys just start pounding out the drafts of the script? Yeah, we start rewriting. Yeah. How many drafts did you go through? I'd say two major drafts because we had we had two mentor characters in the script that got greenlit. Okay. And we one had, of them was Ben Kingsley's. One was Ben Kingsley's Papa Rudy. The other one is this German juggler in real life named Francis Brune, who we loved and but wisely there actor wise like, his name is Francis no Brune? the real oh. life guy oh, okay um but we had this meeting and it just felt that we should choose one mentor character and hopefully make them stronger instead of two that would be more thin so we made big changes like that and that evolved and then Joe came on board and we had meetings with Joe where we talked about the character and first choice the language First and only choice ever. Cause With before, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. I mean, but that came around that time. Before that, we weren't sure. Sorry. So that was a nice sting. <laughs> <laughs> um, before that, we weren't sure. We had the real Philippe telling a story, and we wanted to maybe cast someone that was... We really didn't know, because we knew we probably couldn't get the movie made. It was just an unknown French guy. There had to be some weird middle Trickery. ground yeah. and Joe who's fluent in French and a dancer and an acrobat like seemed to fit. Was he Zemeckis's choice? Yeah, was he, was, he Robert Zemeckis was a fan of him. He absolutely. hadn't worked with him or anything, right? Nope, no, but wanted to work with someone like that and it helps because it's been a while since Bob has done a movie about a character that's so young, like maybe since Marty McFly. So it was great to get that Joe energy in there. And he's he's a writer and a director, so that worked with Bob. So he collaborated with you guys too. On yeah, uh, we had a few script meetings where we talked about the language of Philippe because it's very specific language. And Joe had some great ideas for uh, certain things. We wanted to make the female character stronger because she's the only female. Yeah. Things like that. So this is still back in like 2007, 2008, or? This is 2013. So okay. So we've, we've skipped ahead. So what is the, why did this movie take nine years to make? Uh, in 2009. And how in the interim did they make your fucking movie in a documentary form? Well, because yeah. Because knowing... If you only went through two drafts, this final movie, the, the shooting script of Men... Oh, but there was more after that. Once production start, there was more rewrites, and then Bob did rewrites, and... Okay, I mean, really, Fair But enough. those were like a lot of cleanups and dialogue stuff for the voiceover, and also there are a few uh, like rights, legal okay. stuff we had to change. It's a true story. Yeah. yeah. So, so why did it take so long? Well, there was this big gap between like 2009 and 2013 where they were pitching it to everyone, and everyone was saying no, because we had to deal with Disney... Uh, for Christmas Carol, that was Bob's first movie with Disney, and that relationship soon crashed, and they shut down Image Movers Digital, and it was a big thing. Uh, but Disney was was going to be our guys; they okay. were going to make the walk, and they said no, and then it kind of stalled, and, and then, then everyone didn't have said anyone no. to make it. Yeah. yeah, and so we had you know my friend Ryan Chan and uh, Jimmy and a couple others. They showed the pre-visual to everybody, and it was just stalling. And then Bob made Flight. 
episode. Which did really well. It did well, yeah. And it was kind of the resurgence of Robert Zemeckis. And back to live way. action, which people yeah. liked, and everyone liked that, you know, flipped over a plane, and Denzel was battling some like demons. Yeah, yeah, man. Denzel was drunk, and he killed all those people. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. Did pretty good for an R-rated movie it was about a, really, a pilot. It was a really good movie, too. I yeah. saw a screener. I was like, I'm not going to watch this bullshit. Sure. I was like, man, I don't. Robert Zemeckis drama, yeah. right? And then yeah. I watched it, and I was like, oh, this movie's fucking cool. Yeah, and I feel the same way about the walk, <laughs> right? I know it's one of those things. Um, so flight happens. Bob's got some juice again. You guys go right in production, basically. Uh, it took a little. Flight came out. It did really well. Um, but then it took a few months, and then before we got that Rothman call. In the interim, are you still working with? Bob at all or yeah we have another project called Interface it's a okay. science fiction project so, so even during the down years you mm-hmm. guys were still collaborating it's yeah. not like you it's not like you two didn't speak to each other for five years no 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 I was kind of out of the nest I was writing other things and developing my own stuff too but uh, I also had that Interface project sure. then, which we're still working on that's awesome yeah so so now the movie's got the movie's going mm-hmm. you guys what's it like for you to know that a movie you wrote is about to be filmed insane like it was the best we were actually in uh, New York um, I produced this documentary about Calvin and Hobbes called you Dear did. Mr. Watterson. I forgot. Yeah. Why didn't I say that when I fucking listed your thing? Because oh, that's good. an awesome documentary oh, that good. everyone's seen too. Well, yeah. You know, it's for for the Calvin and Hobbes fans. Joel Schroeder was the director. But uh, we were at the premiere of that in New York in 2013, November. And that's when we got the call that it was going. So on that trip, it was like, oh shit. And right when I got back into town, I started writing with Bob. Let's side jump real quick. Yeah. What was that like? Which? Watterson? Mr. Watterson, yeah. It was a great experience. Like that was, um, the walk was a nine year experience. Waterson was a seven year experience. It was so, that long too. Yeah, two Kickstarter campaigns. Right? Yeah. yeah, we started. Joel started that when Kickstarter barely that was had one offices. Of the first big Kickstarter. It was yeah, yeah. and uh, it was a great experience. We got to travel around the country and interview Calvin and Hobbes fans and. Uh, we got a great letter from Bill Watterson afterwards, and you know, which we we're relieved by. It was fun. You learn, we learned a lot, you know. No one will ever find him. No, like JD fucking Salinger, that guy. <laughs> we kind of know where he is, but we left him alone. You'll tell me. After it was a conscious. We got some heat for leaving him alone, but we chose to leave him alone. Yeah, because it's also not the point of that. It's not the point, and he's you, made it clear he doesn't want to be. Do you bothered. Wa- do you want to hear an interview from a guy who clearly doesn't want to be interviewed? No, like knocking someone that his you, fucking someone door. that you love too. Like. It, I don't, we just weren't going to do yeah. it. Yeah. Um, all right. So so you're getting a movie made. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is playing Philippe Petit. Everyone's involved. Everyone's yeah. cool. You yeah. start rewriting again. How do they shoot this movie? Most Was there any actual locations? There were a few in Montreal. It was okay. all Montreal. Montreal for Paris? And New York. For certain Paris. Areas. Yeah, okay, uh-huh. wow. Yeah, for both. But there was a lot of green screen. Like out on the street, we'd have green screen panels. Um, but then obviously all the tower stuff is pure green screen, pure green screen with, with roofs. St- yeah. We built roofs. We built one sense. roof or a corner of a roof and it served as the North tower and the South tower. They just combined them in post. Oh, well, yeah. smart yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> movie but, making. Yeah. That was, I think a revelation for Bob was two things. I think he uses a lot of his motion capture camera moves in the walk that he developed in those films. But also this whole idea of set extensions, I think, is now inspiring him, where you have physical sets to a point, and then you just extend it digitally, and I think it works beautifully. Actually, Kevin Bailey, uh, who's the head of VFX Atomic Fiction, who deserves so much credit for the Jesus walk. Jesus Christ, does he? Like, yeah. the whole company works so hard. Um, he just sent me a making of reel that they're going to release in a few days. That's oh, Awesome. Oh, very annoying. cool. Um, maybe I'll show you after this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would yeah love to it's you. great. So, did you get to visit set a lot? Or I did. 
Yeah, I was there for a few weeks, and uh, I got to be there when Philippe was there, too. Oh, really? That must have been Because Philippe cool. was there to coach Joe through the actual walk. Because they had trained together. We sent Joe to Philippe boot camp for eight he days. He actually learned how to tightrope walk. Learned how to tightrope walk, juggle, unicycle. I mean, he's a very physical guy uh, to begin with. And Philippe taught him little tricks and little mannerisms and gestures. And What was it like seeing people act out the lines you wrote? It's Especially like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It's, it's fucking, insane. Yeah. I remember some of those words that you know, wrote in my garage or like at the Panera fucking bread. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> sure, dude. And yeah. there it is. And then also just the scope and the essence of seeing the towers because the set was a lot of green screen, but on the monitors, you could see a kind of a crude version of what it would be. And even then, you're like, you got a sense of the vertigo. You're like, holy shit, when these look photoreal, this is going to be insane. Now, did you, here's an interesting question. Well, let's skip right to it. So, I, uh, I saw the movie in 3D IMAX at, at the Hollywood. I got to at, sit next to you. At Man's Theater. And I got to sit next to you, which is cool. Yeah. And um, the first 45 minutes are a very, very sweet, like inc- very whimsical almost. Yeah. You guys do a lot of really smart visual things that I wasn't expecting in a Robert Zemeckis film. Sure. If that makes any sense. Sure. Like every kind of place you could do something cool visually, you guys did. A lot did. of cinema packed in there. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so that's all great and amazing. And then you get up to the wire. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe what happens because I've spoken to a lot of people who saw it since mm-hmm. then. Good. We all know we're watching green screen. Like there's there's no twin towers. That's anymore. it. There's no way this it's could the be only shot. option. It's also thirty years later. Yeah. But it's such a slow, well deserved burn to the point that he finally steps foot on the wire Mm -hmm. that I think, I don't even think there's a question of suspension of disbelief because you're just like, Oh shit, it's taken us a really long time to get here. We're on the wire. Yeah. Uh He climbed it. We saw the stairs to get here. It's not a fake tower. Yeah. I'm really afraid of heights. Uh The, the last port, the wire walking portion of the film is, but I, I can't, I can't even think of movies to describe it to when I saw, um, uh, fuck, uh, What's that movie? The Outer Space Scary Movie with Lauren Fishburne. Oh, uh, Event Horizon? Yes. Oh, man. When I saw Event Horizon in theaters, uh-huh. it was one of the most visceral experiences of my life. It was the movie. most scared I've ever been at a movie theater. Sure. Just because everything is like dark space. and big and yeah. sound and you forget. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, Waking Life. I was on mushrooms, to be fair. Oh, jeez, what a great movie to be on mushrooms. Too. But I, and I took like groups back. I think I saw it six times in theaters at this little cinema arts theater. Link later, man. To a point where like the the so fifty year old like liberal arts ladies who worked at who volunteered at this movie theater was yeah. like, why did these kids keep coming back? Because I would come into school and I'd be like, you 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 come with me. I'm Good about call. to change your lives. Yeah, that's a unique. That one. was an experience unlike any other in mm-hmm. my life, where I was like. Oh, I'm not in a movie, and I'm floating. Yeah, even seeing it sober with my Absolutely. dad. Absolutely, it's got time. that lucid. Sure. Yeah. The walk, it, it definitely helped that we were seeing it on the best IMAX screen in the world. I think. Yeah, right? I think so. But you so very quickly forget that you're in a movie, and you're just like, "Oh shit, I'm gonna die." You're like, oh, "Or he's gonna die." It's it's just a feeling of actual fear. Yeah. And not in like a really negative horror movie way, but just in like an I am an alive kind of Hopefully way. Entertaining, yeah. Like listening to the pe- I saw it with my friend Coy and just listening to Coy <laughs> breathe. Yeah. It's just you can't catch your breath and at no point do you go like he's on a fucking green screen yeah. wire. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh shit, he's gonna fall. Mm-hmm. It's it's really incredible, man. 
Wow. Now, how much of that was written and how much of that is just... Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's all written because Clearly. he had certain specific moves. And what was really important to Bob from the beginning was during the walk that we hear what his what he was thinking. That's how he backed in the whole hosting narration thing because he's the only one in the world to know sure. what it's like to be on the wire. So we wanted to hear that. Um, but I think that... Um, there's no way you can write he steps on the wire. I mean, on, on the script page, it's nothing, right? Just he steps on the wire. It's, yeah, <laughs> but in in the in the movie, it's a whole it's a transformative thing because the clouds clear and then you see New York. Like there's there's no comparison between what's on the screen and what's on the page. But the voiceover was important because of his language and because there was a lot more at and one the point. Pacing and and yeah, the rhythm of the whole thing and and the whole voiceover. Did you it's have like any story. idea that it would be that? In, uh, did you know in the writing that that he, he could do that basically, Bob. Yeah, yeah. I, and because the previous thing, but also because he's Bob, and I knew, I just knew if he got a shot, if someone gave him a shot to make this movie, that that sequence would be a standout, and that it would be one of the more beautiful things that has been put on the screen. Because absolutely in cinema history, dude. you know, yeah. and his moves, and like we got away with the fear factor, but also we got away with all this poetic stuff about looking at the sky. But people go with it, and they get it. You know, saluting the towers, the they really get and, into it, and just and I mean. Speaking of the towers, and I'm, I'm a New Yorker, but that doesn't matter. The way that's handled in the movie is fucking beautiful, too. Was there Thank ever you. a discussion of anything more than, than what is finally in it? Absolutely. Really? It was in the script. We yeah. almost shot ourselves in the foot a bit, um, which again is why... So for those of you, again, for those of you who haven't seen the film, um, on September 11th in 2001, uh, terrorists attacked... The world. No, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I was coming with you for a second, but I know. it's kind of like you yeah. kind of need to do that. So 9 11. Because a lot of kids are seeing it and they don't have that context, and kids are loving it, but they don't know that there story. There was also yet. an amazing thing for me, is especially when he's on the wire and you do the looking down shots. Like, so I, I when I worked on the movie Cop Out, I lived in Battery Park. Mm -hmm. That doesn't exist in that shot. Sure. It is the landfill that is in the shot. Yeah. Uh -huh. So even as a New Yorker, you go like, none of this is here anymore. Yeah. Do you know what they I mean? They went to a lot of links to get that stuff and right. And it's such, and it's so period, like the period stuff in this movie is so dead on mm -hmm. that like you just go with it. You're like, oh yeah, they shot this in the 70s. That's good. While this guy was walking on a yeah, wire. that's good. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know. it's Kids and old people, they won't know this is fake. No. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know? go with it. And that's the goal, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it is the goal. It's just it's the suspension of disbelief and the truth and spectacle of it all. That's what Bob always says, the truth and spectacle of it. Especially with this movie where the entire thing hinges on your suspension of disbelief, basically. It right? does. Yeah. yeah. And also, I think some people were maybe nervous about how we were going to handle the towers, but they're so rich and alive in the movie because that's how they were to Philippe. It's like a tribute. Breathing the entities. entire movie's a tribute to the towers. That was our hope. And the yes. ending, um, we think we found the night, the right graceful note to be, to acknowledge it with like a very, a nod. Very nice. Like, it, was, it was great too. Yeah. But we, we had an older Philippe at one point reflecting back on the towers and in his own way, what that meant to him being gone. But one day we're like, we got to end this movie in the 70s. It's about the 70s. And the audience can then bring in their own context and subtext. Plus, too. you wouldn't have to put Joseph Gordon-Levin in Old Man Meets. Yeah, we did. It just felt did you wrong. Did test for it? No. Okay, thank we you. We didn't get that far. But Bob's a big fan of taking every idea to a dead end. And so that was one of those. And then we just realized, oh, I don't think we can do that. A weird analogy that just occurred to me. So Philippe Petit is a lunatic. Mm -hmm. Who who spent his entire life like chasing hardcore after these dreams that no one really believed him in. Yep. In the same way, but Robert Zemeckis is the same exact fucking way. You're so spot I, on. I, I see why he wanted to make. You're this spot movie. on. Yeah. He was so Philippe in this process. Yeah. I mean, even when 
you know, he was off making flight and doing his thing. And I was, you know, being a struggling writer and figuring it out. I just knew he wasn't going to fucking stop until he made this movie. He was so driven. And there's so many artistic, you know, analogies when you watch the movie of, yeah, all these obstacles and no matter what, whether you're going to inflict violence on someone or you need to work really hard. You know? So this movie has been almost across the board well received critically. It was received pretty well. Yeah. Everyone who sees it. Kanye West loves it. Kanye's down. Edgar yeah. Wright loves it. Yeah. Like, you got a really a lot of cool fans. <laughs> yeah. Now we get to the fucking shitty business end of Hollywood. Let's do it. What? The movie didn't make any money. Still, yeah, it's struggling. Why? That's a great question. You know, we kept the, not we, I mean, you know, the, the budget was low because everyone knew it was a risk. Okay. Everyone said no for one reason or another. But the risks included uh, a French main character, I think. Um, the towers and how people would feel feel about yep. that. But I think in terms of what happened at the box office is I don't know if people have still connected the dots to what the movie is. I don't know if they know those are the towers. I don't know if they know Philippe. If it's not an IP that's identifiable. It's not Steve Jobs or other Everest. than to documentary like, nerds like under than that, which was small and and awesome, and it won the Oscar and it did everything a great doc could do. But I still don't think people know what it is, and so it's word of mouth based but the word of mouth didn't travel fast enough or um people a lot of people are really fucking afraid of heights and see yeah. that and go i don't know what it is i'm afraid of heights so i have no interest but when people see it they do tend to love it i haven't heard anyone see it and i haven't heard anyone who's seen it say a negative word about it yeah, it's just you one of those weird mean? hidden it's like a bob deep cut that maybe will grow and i know they're going to push for you know award season and all that but, well um, and you know i mean look let's put it this way i'm you're definitely getting a 3d blu-ray buy out of me because right? like yeah. i will just get stoned and watch the fucking walk sequence over and over so again. down absolutely <laughs> yeah it's it's a great it's a stunning achievement man yeah like i would expect some kind of technical note i think for no, sure of, atomic for fiction film. yeah i would hope so i think they deserve it and i think there's a lot of tech the sound stuff and editing jeremiah o'driscoll and you know i'd love to see bob get recognized but he's we've been emailing back and forth about it because we kind of scratch our heads a little bit about it and um but it's all you can do oh we love it and that's all you can that's really what, fucking so at the do. end of the day how does that feel i mean it's interesting because it's my first time out yeah so, so that, that's the real question yeah to have this nine-year experience where I learned more than I still don't even think I'm conscious of from Bob and Steve Starkey and Steve Boyd and, you know, on and on and on. Um, and to now be at this place where it's really well-reviewed, it's certified fresh and all that. People are getting inspiration and people are also finding it to be kind of a, a release valve to talk about positive stuff about the towers. I've met many people who just want to talk about that. But then the box office starts to taint all that you know, and you don't want it to. But um, I don't know. It's a mystery, really. It's really a mystery, but but it, it but it will always. You love the final product. I love it. So you you will always have that in the back. You wrote a fucking movie you loved. So I'm yeah. Do you know what I mean? Super happy, super proud. I'm glad Bob got to make the movie. Uh, I lo I like it more and more every time I see it too because there's a lot going on. The little, like you're saying, cinematic tricks and things that you might not notice in the first half because there's so much attention on the walk, uh, but. I think it's a really well-crafted film. Now, here's an interesting question. Mm -hmm. Man on Wire. Yep. At what point did you guys become aware that... 2008, right when he was doing the festival circuit. Were you kind of pissed at Philippe? No. I mean, he was up front about he was working with them, but we weren't sure what it was going to be or how it was going to be received. But honestly, from the beginning to now, we always thought they were different animals. Like and they are. One is always going to have the interviews, which is its own thing. You can't beat that in its own regard. 
but we wanted you guys to have the walk. We had we wanted to recreate the walk. Yeah. We wanted to see it move, and I'm, we wanted I'm to hear where he came from. So the night after we saw the movie, I was so fucking into it. I, yeah. I literally came home and immediately watched Man on Wire. Perfect. And then it gets to the walk point, and you're like, oh, they don't even have video footage. Still, there was no 16. There was no footage black of and white him stills. doing it. Yeah. And they're beautiful, and and, and they're I, great. But you're missing are, you're missing the release of finally seeing him do what we've just talked about for an hour and a half. Yeah, I think it's they kind go of together. masturbatory. Yeah, you kind of want that. I mean, because with the walk, we wanted to show the process because it took him years to pull this off. And he had so many different accomplices, and you can only show so much in two hours. But they're always going to be separate things, I think. One's going to be spectacle. One's going to be uh, the true interviews. But it also can be a kid's book and a memoir. And the story's so crazy. Uh, it's it's like just so insane. It can like survive different mediums. human version of the little engine that could. Yeah. Well, that's why we treated the first half more like a, a fairy. It's like, like, a, like, it's a, like yeah. half fairy tale, half heist movie. With an aerial ballet at the end, yeah. and people don't know what to make of that. Yeah. It's like it's a unique thing. Like that's that. not an yeah, obvious yeah. thing in a trailer, even if it's playing, uh, you know, at a major network. It's, it's, uh, it's just not obvious. I'll be honest. I heard, I heard you did the movie The Walk. Like I became aware of it, mm-hmm. and then we were like, oh, we're gonna go to a screening, and I was like, I don't know what this movie is. So yeah, I watched the trailer, and I was like. Oh, they made a movie about fucking the French dude who walked on the wire. I was yeah. so excited. Yeah, good. Uh, yeah, it's kind of, it was undercover. It still is kind of under the radar. Yeah. What so what's next for you, man? Uh, I'm on this interesting path now where I'm getting to put some projects out there. I'm you, so now you get like, repre- when you get to make a movie, you get like to talk, make more movies basically, right? You're in the That's door, you're in the door happy. now. It seems to be that way. Yeah. That's fucking awesome. You know, meeting people in New York and LA and um, I've been developing projects for years that I now can get out there, movies and TV, mostly movies. And uh, then projects have been offered to me, so. Do you want to direct ever? Absolutely. That's your goal. You want to yeah. be a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, hopefully next fall. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. But we'll see. Hopefully they, this process I'll, I'll ride into a few more projects writing wise and then dedicate time to directing the small small movie it'd be great to write big movies and direct small movies um what can you talk at all about the other project you were working on with zemeckis yeah i can probably talk a little bit about it i mean it's a science it's a hardcore science fiction movie, which definitely excites people especially today of especially on back to the future day that's right that Robert back zemeckis, to the future yeah, day you too man. yeah that zemeckis is working on a hardcore sci-fi movie yeah it, uh, with a kind of a military bent um, and has kind of a surveillance theme. So we've been working on it for a few years. It's pretty cold and dark. It's got a lot of single point of view in it. It's it's different. I think always, like you're saying, he's always pushed stuff in his career, but I think after his motion capture experience that was well-received in certain areas but not well-received at all in other areas, he became a little bit more daring or fierce or risky. I don't know how to describe it. Where like flight or the walk, it's like, I'm just, I want to do this movie. No matter what, I'm going to do this movie. An interface could be that where it's this weird, different vision. Um, there also meet, but might be a virtual reality component. Wow. We'll see. Wait, what is that? To, to, to watching it? Maybe. Oh, shit, guys. <laughs> he started with a rabbit. <laughs> well, going. The Walk had that too, which is kind of cool. He's dabbled in it a touch because New York was created from scratch. 1974, New York was created from scratch. Okay. So they have all these assets. So oh wow! So they have they have virtual reality helmets that are like expos and stuff where you can you can walk in the New York you can walk on the wire and yeah. stuff. Uh-huh. Oh really? Yep. 
I haven't done it yet. I can't, it, but it's nuts. I, I've seen videos of it and people freak out. That's super exciting. Because it's all it's yeah. all on the computer so and it's all photo real and you're in a, a room in a conference room or at Sony and you're tripping out. That's really fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, how, what did Philippe think about the movie? Philippe called me a few days after he saw the movie. He had a private screening, of course, and um, he thought we made a very beautiful film full of I mean, it sounds so cheap, but it's full, you know, full of sure. joy and, and passion. Shy, and yeah. yeah, I mean, it was, it was uh, an out-of-body experience for him at some times, especially the walk, you know, some of those wide, like, helicopter shots, because when you lose sight of Joe at all, and yeah. you just feel like it's Philippe again. Um, there's a scene, you'd know it, listeners might not, about the visitor on the rooftop. Okay, yeah, the silent so visitor. Amazing, yeah. That, to him, was exactly the way it was. That's awesome. But then there's other things, I mean, to be he's brutally honest with me. We've become friends now, so he just, he'll give me shit, and he'll tell me what I screwed up, and what why did, did what you write did you that? Screw up? A little, you know, little, he wasn't a fan of certain things that we had to condense. Like, I can't even imagine that you, how it would be to watch your life condensed to two hours. So you have to flop characters, and... And, you know, maybe one character goes with you to the towers that another character totally. didn't. And but he didn't understand that it was a movie. <laughs> he did, but I think it was just a little hard to yeah. let go. And there's also little details that only he would notice that maybe bothered him that I understand. I mean, he's like Bob. He's very focused. He's very attention to detail. He'd like to do all his rigging himself. So, so you mean like I the, saw both. The, the actual way the ropes and stuff were set up sure. bothered him? Sure. <laughs> well, he's also a not expert too. How many not experts are there in the world? There's only one Philippe. That's the thing. He's published books about knots. Has he really, dude? Yeah. Why not? Wow. Yeah. And it what comes with a red string. You know the red string in the movie? Where yeah. That it, the book comes with a red string. And he, he just published a book about creativity and what a you know, fascinating tours fucking and, dude, right? I, he guy changed my life. You That's know, awesome. He's, I, and I'm so it's so cool that he's alive to enjoy and like experience Man on Wire and this and tour with it and. Um, he gets kind of hounded by people who are just who love his story. Can't believe he's still That's around. Awesome, man. Yeah, we love his story and we love yours. And thank you for sharing it with us. Yeah, man, man this is fun. Thank where, you. Where can folks keep up with you online if there's oh, anywhere? Geez. Are you a social media dude? A little bit. Yeah. Uh, Instagram, Sir Santa Cruz. I never do use Twitter, but I'm at You're Doing Great. <laughs> That's an awesome Twitter. You should use it. Yeah, my friend is honor my friend JY. It's spelled right and everything. Yeah, You're Doing Great. Well, man, you should sell that if you're not going to fucking use it. <laughs> well, we'll see. It, it might evolve, but that's about it. I don't have a website up yet, but it might happen. Awesome, man. Yeah. And, and you people know where to find me. I'll tell you in a second. Uh, thank you, bro. Yeah, man. Good times. I think I said good tons. Like, I obviously meant to say good times at the end there, but, you know. Oh, oh, hindsight. Uh, that was really fun. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you definitely all check out The Walk in any way you can, whether it be on its upcoming home release or if it's still playing in some theaters by you. It's a really cool movie. Now that you've heard the story, you know, I'm sure you'd want to help support CB too. Um, my stuff, Twitter, Camel Toad, uh, this podcast. Again, I have a comic book. I would, I would appreciate if, if some people were to listen to it. <laughs> if, if hey, if you can listen to my comic book, my hat is off to you, and I'm not even wearing a hat. Read my comic book. There you go, at uh, geekcomicbook.com. And also another new project. Uh, if you go to the Rem Diary, the R E M Diary dot com, I started a thing where I am uh, adapting my friends' recurring dreams into short stories, and we're accepting submissions and all that fun stuff. So yeah, hey guys, there's a lot of Matt Cohen stuff. All right, don't get too excited. Yeah, we'll see you next time. It's been bagged and boarded. I, I will never get that right, guys. I've I am thirty one years old. 
I started this show when I was like 25 years old, and I have never been able to get my sign off right. Let's do it one more fucking time. I'm Matt Cohen. It's been bagged aborted. It's been real. What? I need a day job. Bagged and boarded. Jesse watch lots of movies, get mad ladies, smoke mad doobies, bag and boarded, it's the way your life, tell your friends, tell your moms, tell your hoe, tell your wife, coming at you on a weekly basis, kicking up pod for your sexy faces, these are two free geeks you want to bone, in the secret podcast bunker all alone, on the internet we be the top crooks, we got issues and we don't mean funny books, homie Jimmy Moore and the dinos are chilling, me and JR, we got the top villains, sit down, relax, and yo, and take a seat, get ready for the top podcast, you all agree, others spit loud, but I can spit faster, I'm Matt Cohen, I'm the Geek Master. We got everything you could possibly want in it. An hour of us in the Brento minute. I'm a little laid back and he's making a little maniacal. Could we just talking shit? Who said the show was viable? Walking in the door, smoking that Jimmy Moore. You're listening from Alabama, all the way to Singapore. We're just two weeks and that's the topic of discussion. Had each other's votes on the green, on nothing. Quick stop at night, we're storming like a typhoon. It's not right, it's wrong. It's taking lots of bones. We're teaching every show, everyone celebrates. Cause we got comics, movies, and a little penetration. I regret every episode as soon as it's recorded. Cause I'm down to earth and that is out of orbit. We're not Right, right, our thoughts are distorted. So now we present to you another bag and boarded. Bagged and boarded, 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 bagged and boarded. Yeah!